Well, here we are, 23. It's, uh, although it's late January, it's never too late to say Happy New Year. Happy Brian, New Year. And uh, Happy New, New Year to those who, um, who dial in and who listen in. This is our annual recap, UH Ventures Health Voyages podcast series. Um, and in this episode, Brian and I are going to talk about the platform, what we achieved over the course of the last year, the challenges we faced, uh, both as a system, as a platform, and then more uh, generally as a uh, as from the perspective of healthcare. Be great to get some of your feedback from the perspective of the clinical lens, Brian, because uh, it's been a challenging time. Um, COVID fatigue is now in year three. Um, talk to us a little bit about what it's been like from a patient care delivery perspective. And we'll get to the innovation piece. We'll get to the ventures and the investing piece in a second. But at the end of the day, we're, we're here for the mission and the purpose of, uh, of treating our, our, our patients. Talk to us about that, Brian, from your perspective. Yeah, David, it's, um, it's funny. You were saying the word COVID fatigue um, year three. And I was trying to think of, does we finally fall into like chronic fatigue syndrome or, you know, another way to describe it? I think it's what's nice about healthcare is it's always business as usual doing the things that we have to do. We find ways to become more resilient, you know, in the faces of labor shortages and the challenges for me getting patients into the operating room. Um, but people just continue to, to do and push forward. Do we see a difference? For sure. I think people are trying really hard to stay positive and trying really hard to go the extra mile. And I see examples of it every day here at Rainbow and at UH. So we're very fortunate to have the people that we have. Um, but, you know, I think that we have some real challenging waters ahead of us in healthcare in terms of trying to figure out how do we right size our organizations? How do we continue to leverage new technologies to find ways to incorporate different avenues for care delivery that I think will change how we do it over time. It's just, we're there, we're in the middle of it. It's it's one of those things. We talked about it when we first responded to COVID, building the airplane while the airplane was flying. I think that although we're not in such a dire situation right now, we are still in a place of the, we're building as we're working uh, because things are constantly changing. Financial landscape, patient access, labor shortage, you name it. They're all an evolution and they're all changing. Uh, but again, we're lucky. We have a committed group of doctors um, who and nurses and, and care providers and bedside providers and administrators who know that it's our responsibility to care for our community. Excuse me. And so I think we'll win from that perspective. You know, you used a couple of trigger words for me. You said, um, you know, it's healthcare, it's business as usual. Then later on, you used a, a reference to challenges. And, you know, part of our mandate is to uh, disintermediate business as usual, because we certainly know that um, care delivery, um, healthcare as it's currently constructed and described and offered, isn't sustainable. Um, and we don't have a decade's runway to, to slowly manifest who we're going to be next. We have to really work on those changes, uh, those changes now. What do you see, Brian, as um, the, the biggest challenges that we're facing that we cannot continue to just merely perpetuate and repeat? It, the, the areas where it shouldn't be business as usual. Where do you see some of those? It's a hard question to answer. I think it's a great question. I think it's the question on a lot of people's minds. Um, I think number one is the, to the caregiver's time. I think that there are so many 
regulations and constraints that are put on all caregivers, not just the doctor, I'm talking nurse, MA, who can take vitals, who can't take vitals, how frequently do you have to be entering things in the computer? I think about our ICU nurses and the number of hours every day they that they, it's not waste because it's part of patient care, but because of the paradigm, how many hours of every day are spent in front of a computer or in front of an omni-cell machine or somewhere that's not delivering bedside care or participating in what I would call camaraderie, right? How do you rally your colleagues? We're so inefficient in healthcare today uh, because of the tools that exist for us. And, and so that's one area. Another area, you sent a, a, a really funny video um, that uh, I think made me chuckle and made me sad at, at the last, uh, at the same time, excuse me. And just to, for the listeners who are listening, it basically was a video of, of a parody that we see a lot in healthcare, especially in adult medicine. I fortunately don't see it as much in pediatrics, but we see it sometimes, which is a patient who comes into the doctor who is complaining about having had to wait forever to see the doctor, um, but isn't actively engaged in their own healthcare. Uh, and in the world that we live in today, it's a partnership. It's always been a partnership between doctor and patient, but even more so today, do I think that we need to continue to try to find ways to leverage that concept of partnership? And how do we help incentivize patients to want to actively participate because we know the data shows patients who are engaged, patients who are precipitatory, I can't speak English, precipitatory, precipitatory, precipitatory in their, in their care, precipitate, I can't say it, <laughs> actively participating in their own care. There we go. Um, that'll be a good one for the edit. Um, you know, do better and, and they have a better outcome because they're compliant with their medications, they're working out, they're eating better. And it's not just the doctor who needs to be a part of that. That's the key. There are so many other services that these patients who have complicated disease pathology need. Um, and I would argue that diabetes and hypertension is complicated. It's not just diabetes and hypertension. We know that there's so many things that, that go into taking care of patients like that. So those are just two off the top of my head yeah. um, that come to mind, but it, it all comes down to the same thing. How do we empower our care providers to be as efficient as possible with their time so that they don't burn out and so that they can deliver the care they need to deliver? Yeah, you know, you, you, you make reference to healthcare not being done to someone, but being done w with someone. And, uh, and I thought that parody was poignant uh, uh, for that reason. You know, um, there's a tremendous amount of um, media noise and news right now related to generative AI, chat GPT, uh, the adjacencies to that, the extensions of that, and how that's going to disrupt um, virtually every facet of our life. Um, early days, perhaps from a healthcare perspective, but get, riff around your thoughts in terms of how AI with that threshold of functionality and, 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 and as feature rich as it could be, should be, how that's going to disrupt, improve, uh, impede delivery of healthcare. I think that engines with the power of a chat GPT could have tremendous potential to bring value in terms of that efficiency and time saving. I think that we have to be very careful, though, that we don't turn ourselves into a click and it's done, per, you know, profession, because that takes away the art of the practice of medicine. AI, I think, is fascinating. You know, we're seeing it with the work that we're doing with Radically, our, our, you know, our spin out AI lab and radiology. The functionality that we'll be able to bring to clinicians to help them do their job better as opposed to doing their job for them. And I think that's the key aspect of leveraging this type of technology. 
How do we, again, think about how do we help doctors and nurses and other care providers do their job better? And I think that we'll be able to do that because what we're seeing, just the tip of the iceberg here, are, are tools that prevent that mistake of the, I just missed it when I read it the first time. Or it subtly looked a little bit different, but I would have had to look at four different films side by side going back 15 years to recognize the difference. And now some people argue, well, that's the job of the radiologist. And I don't disagree with that. But I also think that because we have the ability to do that, why not leverage the computer system that can help and say, hey, by the way, 15 years ago, there was a scan that kind of had a similar appearance to it in the grand scheme of things. We would have never called that. But now we have so much more information to, to go on. Maybe that's something that's a little bit more concerning. I'm not a radiologist, so I can't really say with 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 perfect detail how that could change the perspective of reading imaging. But if you apply that to surgery, you know, our partnership with Vicarious Surgical, which I know we'll touch on, you know, they're wanting to use machine learning and AI to help the camera system help the surgeon identify arteries and veins and the ureter in, in the abdomen. How amazing would it be, could it be, if you will, if we had technology that helped robotic surgeons never make the mistakes that you should never make because the computer stops you, stops the arm from moving. You can't cut that because I know with great certainty that that's the ureter. That's, that is life-altering, life-saving surgical intervention that is computer-generated. I'm not afraid of that. I know that there are some doctors who are afraid of that and the concern that the, you know, the, the machines will take our jobs. I don't think we'll ever get to the point because I don't think machines can learn art. Um, and I do believe that there's still an art to the practice of medicine and there is some nuance to it. Not every situation can be dictated, but to again, develop tools that will continue to help us do our job better and be safer and deliver higher value, higher quality care. I don't think there's any other way to do it. You know, the biggest waste quotient in healthcare right now is, um, is not durable goods and disposables and, uh, and equipment. Of course, those are important things to focus on, but it's time. It's the waste of time. And you and I were on a call recently and we heard a shocking stat that's not perhaps necessarily too surprising that the average physician only works in quotes four hours a day. The rest of the day is documentation is is ordering is um, review preparation and wait and that waste quotient um, is the is the holy grail from the perspective of what we might be able to solve for with uh, with tools and technologies um, let, let's pivot we we had a very active year in ventures we we made seven investments I'll quickly list those um, some were uh, some were initial investments, some were follow-ons, and you know maybe you can riff on a couple of them. But we we invested in ScriptDrop, in Lazurite, in TaylorMed, uh, Picture Health, our own spin-out urethral stent company that was a follow-on, Renalis, and most recently Biome. And in fact, we uh, we will probably invest twice in Biome uh, in, in the next coming months as well. Um, that's a pretty wide array of tools and technologies, modalities, uh, 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 use cases, etc. Any one of those that you want to pick up on from the perspective of, of a specific call out, Brian? I would say two. Um, one, and because they're different, I think it highlights what we're doing at Ventures. The diversity of the deal flow, the diversity of opportunities that we have to impact patient care. So I would say TaylorMed and Lazarite, right? Two far ends of the spectrum in terms of care delivery. One is 
a digital tool that really helps us help patients um, get access to um, the financial services that they need, right, to help pay for their chemotherapies and, and, and those types of things, which we know are very expensive drugs. And the other one is an actual physical tool that the surgeons use. So when I say ends of the spectrum, I truly mean it. And I think what's exciting about that is that it shows how we can engage how we can leverage the tools that we have on the, of the team members, their skill sets, how we can work in a space where we're in an operating room, where we're talking about running clinical trials, where we're partnering with surgeons on the actual physical tools that they're using to do their jobs. And then again, on the other side of that spectrum is the, how do we take the time to sit down with the clinicians and the care coordinators uh, and, and really, you know, the, the revenue cycle team to understand the nuance of how challenging it is to afford care. Uh, and I think that that just, those two in particular really stand out to me as the why our platform can be so valuable to the institution um, and the skill sets again and the and the just the unique perspective that I think our talented team brings to the conversation as to the yeah this is a really interesting thing and this is why we should push really hard to try to get it in the hands of our providers we don't just invest as everyone knows um, we, we enjoy leaning into uh, audacious goals and, and hairy problems. And we do so in a participatory, you see, I can say the word, <laughs> and co-design uh, perspective. And we entered into a number of arrangements this year with companies who are looking to gain that clinical validation, that clinical affirmation for their tools and technologies. It also, of course, enables us to, in a, in a, in a, in a real-time sense, continue to diligence the opportunity from an investability perspective. But I truly believe one of the, the secret source elements to our platform is the way in which we've created co-development, product development in a more formal sense around partnership with early stage and, and later stage technologies and tools. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, Brian, from the perspective of the importance of uh, the the engagement between uh, an early tool device and offering and the the coal face where that actual tool device or offering will be deployed. I think it goes back to our concept of the living laboratory. I think that we are very fortunate to have a group of clinicians who work here and nurses. I Again, whenever I say clinician, I mean doctor, nurse, care provider. That's my definition of that. So I don't want to sound as though I'm discriminating or leaving anyone out of that conversation because it really is that team that helps us be successful with these endeavors. But we have this incredible group of, of clinicians who have a desire to help change healthcare. And I think that's, that's the key. That's the sweet spot and the secret sauce. Then when you take that, when you have unique opportunities like vicarious surgical that come knocking at the door uh, to think about how can we revolutionize robotic surgery? How can we partner with a company that has a vision? And a clearly plotted out from, you know, the moment that they walked in the door to where they have their FDA approval and, you know, finding ways to make UH a center of excellence for robotic surgery. Um, those things are exciting. Uh, those things allow us to continue to be at the forefront from a care delivery perspective, knowing that we are here in the city of Cleveland offering care that really anyone from around the country or around the world should be desirous of. Uh, and knowing that we have a, an ability to participate in that conversation is very exciting to me. Um, you know, I think about 
those tools so the vicarious surgical relationship it just i'm so excited about what that has to offer for us both from a product development perspective as well as potentially investment in the future but really having our team our surgeons be actively engaged in the conversation around how do we take this amazing beta one concept and bring it to patients there's nothing more fun as a surgeon than things like that and then i think about exploro and the work that we're doing with Exploro to help them evolve their platform. And Describe Exploro. Yeah, so Exploro is a augmented reality-based tool for children to interact with their own healthcare, so that they can learn, engage, and excuse me, gauge knowledge and gain knowledge around what's happening to them in the hospital. Uh, it's a company based out of England um, that we have a, just a fantastic relationship with, uh, with their um, with their founder and president Dom, and. We're helping them build a new element of their game uh, for children who have to have procedural sedation, which is one of the more common ways that children interact with the healthcare system. So again, it's this opportunity to see something that we're excited about that we think brings value to patients, but then take it to the next level. Uh, and I think that those things will always allow us to differentiate ourselves as a platform, um, but also keep our team so rooted in the foundation, which is care delivery and providing care for our patients in the community. You mentioned resilience, workforce challenges at the open, and uh, one of the very exciting opportunities this year was to think about how we very intentionally backward integrate. We forged a a new relationship, formal relationship through affiliation with Neomed, which is Northeast Ohio's um, medical uh, um, university um, and and training facility. Um, How do you see a relationship like that? And of course, we we do acknowledge that we have a a continuing and very active and very powerful affiliation relationship with Case Western Reserve University, its School of Medicine, its Faculty of Biomedical Engineering, From a clinical perspective, from an innovation perspective, Brian, talk to us about how you feel that these types of relationships will help us help ourselves. I think it's impact factor. I think it's allowing a group of bright, enthusiastic minds access to bright, enthusiastic clinicians. I think that the more students that we engage with, whether they be medical students, graduate students, residents, the better. I think that we have so much to offer here from a clinical education perspective. And I love the fact that we're continuing to try to find ways to bring more students into our doors. That's the clinical side, right? We're, we're, we're fulfilling our mission on the to heal, to teach and discover side. When you focus in on the teach side, that makes a lot of sense. When we focus in on the heal side, makes a lot of sense. The discovery side is the innovation piece, right? How can we then leverage these brilliant, enthusiastic young minds to help us continue to cultivate ideas? We currently have two Neomed M0 students working with the Ventures team as fellows. What is an M0, Brian? So they have a really unique, exciting program. It's a five-year program for students who are accepted into their medical school um, on this tract. And it's a master's in health leadership um, with a focus kind of in system design and, and really thinking innovatively and creatively about solving problems in healthcare. These students do their first year as their masters, and then they roll and matriculate into M1 for the first year of medical school. Um, we've had some students in the past years working in our research departments uh, who are part of this program. This is the first year we've had two students uh, come to Ventures. And it's so exciting to see their perspective as a bit naive on what's happening in healthcare because they're not even in medical school yet. Yet they bring a unique perspective given the education that they're getting in Lean Six Sigma, system design and things like that, which I think is, again, all about having unique perspectives 
on how we solve and tackle problems. Yep. So very excited about it. Um, we're gonna we're gonna bump up against time, but of course I do want to uh, very um, um, uh, appreciatively recognize that we did add some team members to our platform this year. We added uh, Alison Grazia. Alison is an innovation strategist. Her focus is going to be ostensibly around innovation in our community hospital construct. We added Chris Bozak, who came to us from, from Ventures for America out of Columbia, out of a Columbia Masters as a, as a portfolio manager. And uh, he's going to focus uh, r- really in the product development space. And then lastly, we added Brandon Konuk as a director of innovation. And Brandon's going to bring to us a, a, a ton of experience and, and knowledge uh, when it comes to innovation platforms and systems and uh, how we might uh, measure impact from the perspective of uh, innovation returns, etc. So very happy to have added people to, to, to the team. And to the point that you've just made, Brian, these are people that didn't necessarily come to us with clinical uh, uh, and healthcare backgrounds. And um, we've been very successful building a team of, of, of relentlessly curious people who don't have clinical backgrounds, partly because they can place a lot of reliance on you and your colleagues and the coalition of the willing that we have within the system to provide that lens, but also an acknowledgement of the importance of learning what other industries have already solved for, which still vex us as, uh, as, as, a, uh, as an asset class, if you will. So did want to call uh, call out that. Um, give us some closing thoughts, Brian, where, you know, in, in terms of what you think we'll be seeing this year, some of the areas of focus for us. So I think, so first and foremost, your comment around bringing new members to the team is very exciting. And I think one of the things that we want to do on, on the podcast this year is actually bring some team members on so they can talk a little bit more in depth about what they're doing, what their role is on the team and, and what they're excited about, the projects that they're working on. So definitely that's a little teaser of what to look forward this year as we get a little bit more focused on how we're bringing content in the podcast. For 2023, I'm, I'm excited about the people. I'm excited about, you know, this team that we've put together where we're going to go. You know, UH is going through some challenging times right now. It's, it's, no, um, it's no mystery to, to read about financial struggles in healthcare. Um, it's no, no mystery to know that we haven't figured out all the answers. You know, I think that we are at a really unique time in UH's history. We're implementing Epic. Um, so new, new um, medical records platform comes along with a lot of hard work uh, to our IT specialists, and we're very deeply appreciative of that. I think it will force us in the venture space to think a little bit more critically about other ways we can get involved because we know there's bandwidth, right? And I don't see us bringing a lot of digital tools to the healthcare system this year, and that's okay. So what I'm really excited about, especially from a surgical perspective, is how can we leverage that time that we have towards actual physical products that we might be able to work with, whether they be surgical tools, other products that are actual hard tangibles that we can work with that don't have a big reliance on uh, on, uh, information technology services um, so that we can let that team do what they need to do with Epic. I think that's going to be a lot of fun for us. I'm going to turn the question back on you because you've been asking a lot of questions today, which is uh, which I appreciate. you have a really unique perspective. And I think that as your role within our healthcare system has evolved, you've had your finger on the pulse of a couple of things that maybe the rest of us don't get to see. Um, the inner workings, if you will, from a, you know, thinking about strategy, finance, and, and how do we tackle these challenges? What's your perspective on 2023? What are the things that UH needs to accomplish 
to make sure that we see steady seas ahead uh, to continue to be able to serve our community. You know, we, no secret, we uh, are not alone when it comes to facing tremendous um, financial headwinds. Um, we are gratified that uh, uh, the rating agencies have recently reaffirmed a positive outlook for the system and our credit rating. Um, we're not necessarily dipping into the credit markets as we currently speak, but it does um, it does portend that we we could uh, at a reasonable cost of money if that if that need were to arise. I think it's forced us to continue to lean into efficiencies, and it's going to force us to continue to lean into a transition to to value. We have to get to Medicare break even. We have to get to a point where. Um, uh, we don't place sole reliance on only a couple of uh, facets of our of our broader offering uh, from a, a a positive contribution perspective. We need to to democratize where financial impact and value comes from, and we can only do so by washing out waste, by creating efficiencies, and um, and to the point that we cons- consistently focus on um, facilitate technology support and enablement where 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 that would be appropriate where that would be applicable. Um, this will be a, a lean year from the perspective of um, uh, not necessarily being able to do all of the aspirational things that we would desire. We do have to close ranks from the standpoint of financial uh, of our financial um, stability. And um, I think we have a leadership team, we have the intentionality, and we have the, the skill set to, to deliver upon that. But it, this will this will not be a year without challenge from the perspective of ensuring that we uh, meet our obligations from a performance standpoint. What um, what's something exciting on your on your menu personally that you have coming up that we can uh, leave the uh, viewers and, and listeners with at least some. Obviously, we've talked about a lot of exciting things. We've talked about some challenges ahead of us. But what what are you most excited about? Something personal and something professional. You know. Um, I'll start with professional. Um, we continue to grow and build our brand. We 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 broached the seven thousand followership number on LinkedIn. That's not a, a large number by any stretch when it comes to to social media. But this has been an organic growth uh, for us. Um, we're beginning to be invited into conversations candidly that we we hadn't uh, up until recently, and that's by virtue of the effort that we've collectively made to ensure that we fly our flag. Uh, that our message is clear and crisp, uh, and that we deliver upon our promises when it comes to partnership, whether that be co-investment or co-development or collaboration around uh, around knowledge share. So I'm very excited about a continuation professionally of uh, brand build. You know, uh, broaching into the personal, Brian, uh, I was recently invited to be an executive in residence for John Carroll University's uh, Bowler School of Business. Uh, their, their dean, uh, Dr. Elad Granat, will be leading a trip to Israel, a uh, so-called startup nation uh, for the university's MBA students. And uh, I've been asked to participate and contribute to that. And uh, excited about that. That'll happen in May. What about you? Professionally, I'm, I'm on the same page. I'm so excited about what this team has to offer and what we're going to bring to this university to our community and hopefully nationally over the course of the next couple of years. Uh, I feel completely just, you know, so grateful to have the opportunity to continue to be a member of the team. So that, and I think I highlighted a couple of the projects that we're working on right now that I'm very excited about. Personally, mine, actually, my personal uh, excitement this year is very similar to yours. Um, I was honored to be selected to be a member of 
of the Wexner Heritage Program, which is a leadership program rooted in Jewish culture and history. Um, and so I've had a chance to get to know some really incredible people in our local community. And I know that we are going to have a great opportunity to have impact locally and nationally moving forward. So very excited about that. With that, I thank you. Look forward to our next conversation, which will include one of our new team members. And uh, for those of you listening, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. On behalf of Dr. Rothstein and myself, this is the UH Ventures uh, Health Voyages podcast series. Thank you.